All right, everybody. Today, we've got another deep dive episode. And this one is on monetizing your creativity. It's with Sahil Lavingia, who is the founder and CEO of Gumroad, who's been on the podcast before. Amazing below the line episode with him going into detail and reflecting on his entrepreneurial path. One that has led to a single article that's been shared, I think, a couple million times at this point, talking about his path as an entrepreneur and an unexpected one at that. Today goes a little bit more into detail on one specific thing, and that's monetizing your creativity. Not only has Sahil monetized his own creativity, he is the founder of a, of a company. He's also a painter. He's a writer. Countless number of creatives actually use Gumroad to monetize their work. So he's in a really unique position to offer insight in this realm that I think a lot of people think about, whether they are creating art, making music, writing books, wanting to pursue a side hustle, the question of, okay, how do I make money off of, off of it? Can I do it sustainably? Is it worth starting if it's going to be near impossible to continue doing it? All of these things boil down to this topic. Sahil tweeted about this recently, and it's why I'm having him back on the show. He tweeted out this single tweet that went pretty viral. I believe virtually anyone can make a living doing what they love. I discover new creators doing it in new ways almost every day. Do you want to create full-time but don't see a path towards doing it? Reply with what it is and let's see if I can help you outline a plan. And a lot of people replied. And a lot of patterns emerged from that single tweet that I'm excited to dive into with, with Sahil today. We cover all kinds of different things in this deep dive. We cover the concept of exercising versus training prolific versus perfect, setting realistic expectations externally of, of things like the time required to pursue one's craft, to get good at, at one's craft, but also internal things like assessing your own skill. We talk about being really public, really early. When he started to paint, he actually created an Instagram SHL paints before he even started to paint as a way to one, give people insight into, even if it's nine people that followed into his path as a painter, but also as an accountability tool. We talk about how, when, why to build an audience and so much more. And I can't stress this enough. We talk about the time and the dedication required to build the necessary skills and the same dedication required to build the audience that could provide a potential financial freedom by pursuing one's craft. But if it's something that you set realistic expectations around and specific goals around, then in Zyle's words, it's as easy as going to the gym three times a week for two years. He's never heard of that not working out for someone getting fit, and he thinks the same applies towards anyone that wants to pursue a creative endeavor. This episode is brought to you by Playcast Media. Do you want the easiest way to get started with a premium professional podcast in your home or studio? Go to playcastmedia.com to get started. One click gets you one box that has everything that you need to get started with a premium professional podcast delivered right to your door. It is the premium podcast in a box. Playcastmedia.com. Below the Line is also brought to you by Magic Mind, the world's first productivity drink. Want more creativity, more flow, more energy, and less stress? Go to magicmind.co to get the two-ounce shot that contains 12 magical ingredients 
that are scientifically designed to improve your productivity. Along with CEOs, doctors, musicians, even Navy SEALs, I take it every day and have been for about six years after a trip to the ER from drinking too much coffee. And it is the single most important part of my morning ritual to do more and stress less. Listeners know that I go to pretty extreme lengths to talk about the science behind sleep, diet, exercise, productivity, alternatives to coffee, nootropics, adaptogens, anti-inflammatories, etc. And you can find the peer-reviewed research on the ingredients of Magic Mind on the site to learn more. Go to magicmind.co, that's magicmind.co, and enter promo code BTL for below the line, BTL, to get 15% off and try it for yourself. If you dig below the line, we'd love a review. It's how podcast platforms rank and suggest podcasts, so every review matters. And if you're one of the fine folks that have already left a review, especially all the five-star ones we've gotten, thank you so much. Know that we appreciate it and read each and every one. So without further ado, let's get into it with Sahil. This is Below the Line. And we're live. Sweet. Good morning, sir. Good morning. I'm it excited is. about this. I'm I'm really pumped about this episode. And uh, we're in my back house here in San Francisco. And we actually, this thing has turned into a community podcast studio because we don't, we have limited time. Because <laughs> one of our friends is coming in here to record uh, an episode right after us. Uh, but I'm really excited about this episode as a deep dive. It's another one of the deep dive episodes that that we've done on the podcast where we go deep into one topic. And this one is all about monetizing creativity. And it is ultimately, I think that's a euphemism for sustainably being able to pursue your creativity. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm really excited to jump into it. We got some magic mine in front of us, a little uh, matcha nootropic energy shot. Cheers. Cheers. Don't forget to breathe. All right. What do you think of the taste? It's honestly not bad. It's like a little uh, like uh, like seaweedy, healthy yeah. kind of. Yeah, it's uh, not as bad as like a wheatgrass or ginger shot, but it's uh, it's no it's no Coca Cola. Yeah, you're not gonna drink this for fun all the time. No, but uh, <laughs> the uh, this is great though. I love this. Yeah, we've got uh, so as listeners know, we always have uh, crazy drinks each episode. Started with some magic mind. Now, now, what do you have in front of you? I have a matcha bar, classic lemon lime. This matcha Super bar is good. so good. Got a lot of matcha on today's episode, and then I've got a Guru Organic Energy, which is a Canadian drink. It's really good. I've had it before, but I don't know much about it. But it is very tasty, and it's organic, so I guess it's got to be better than <laughs> the inorganic energy drink. So. Today's episode is, uh, like I said, all about monetizing creativity, and it started with a tweet that you tossed out mm -hmm. the other day. How long ago did you tweet this out? Uh, that was last week, I think. Yeah, around a week ago. Okay, let me read out the tweet for for listeners. Uh, do you mind telling everybody kind of the back uh, the backstory of of this tweet that went pretty viral, and then so many replies and comments? But tell a little bit about where it came from. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd had a couple of these before where I would posit a question and 
there was just an insane amount of replies. Uh, I can't, I'm trying to think what else I've done. I saw Ben do it for MakerPad. That was the one most recently uh, where he said something like, I think you can build anything with no code. Like, please tell me what you want to build and like, we'll figure it out. You know, we'll see if yeah. we, if this is, if, if this is a little legitimate take or not, you know, that, it, that you could build anything with no code. And that was just to me like a really good test. I feel like of my knowledge to say, look, like I started a company because I believe this and I really do believe it. A lot of people don't. And so like, let's figure it out live on air sort of thing. Right. Like, let's just like, let me know what you want to do and I'll give you a plan. Like we'll figure this out and we'll just see. Cause I think a lot of the time it, you know, you can write a blog post that's like how to make a living selling books and you can read all these guides that are typically written for SEO purposes, but they're super generic and vague. You know, and so I was like, I have scale with this Twitter audience. Like, let me just just, you know, one on one, basically, like kind of office hours esque, right? Like, let's like on your specific problem, let's figure this out. And then people can read through it and then they can take away their right. more generalized learnings or we can go through some of that now. Right. And and yeah, I had this other tweet storm a while ago about what I learned in being in Hollywood. And it was kind of similar where it was just like this really interesting. I think with Twitter, a lot of it is so curated and edited down. And this is, it was like an opportunity to kind of do the opposite, which is like, let me just, you know, open it, my, up. open it up completely. And like, I have a time limit, basically, like, I'm not going to spend three days, like answering everybody's thing. And so I'm just going to go as fast as I can. And like, it's a good test to see like how much of this is sort of almost instinctual in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Like, let's change the rules of the game and see how well, you know, it's kind of like a game show, right? Like, that's like, if you're a good cook, like, let's see what you can do without certain certain things that you, you know, crutches that you might be using in your professional life and see where the where the chips lie. And I think the other sort of meta part of this was like I wanted to show creators that like it's like I also don't have it all figured out. Like this this is a process, you know, it's, right. and it it will take time to kind of like it, they're not it's not like you're going to get an answer that's like, oh, perfect. Awesome. I know that's exactly how to do information. it. Yeah, because it's rarely just information. It's always the melding of information and mm -hmm. dedication and discipline and mm -hmm. patience. Well, the here's the timing. Timing. Yes. Yeah, totally. um, and it, here's the the tweet, I believe. And I loved this so much that uh, until it said that he was going to do this and, and I knew that this was going to for a podcast around the psychology of creation. I was like, this is this would be perfect to chat about the responses that you got. So we planned this episode for a few days after. I did not plan for this tweet to go as, as viral as it did. But here's the tweet. I believe virtually anyone can make a living doing what they love. This is from Sahel. I discover new creators doing it in new ways almost every day. Do you want to create full-time but don't see a path towards doing it? A reply with what it is and let's see if I can help you outline a plan. And for context, you sit at an amazing kind of meta perspective on creators because mm -hmm. you power one of the most, I'd say one of the largest community tools for creators in the world with mm -hmm. Gumroad. Mm -hmm. You also, with 100,000, essentially 100,000 followers, you're also just interacting with creators all the time yes. online. Yeah. And you also, you paint, uh, you write, Beyond just creating a company, you are a multi-hyphenate creator yourself, which yeah. we've chatted about <laughs> yeah. uh, a bunch. So you're you're almost the perfect person just to see these trends of of that creators are taking, especially many of them solo creators. It's not like a venture capitalist that's seeing companies of fifty people create 
Mm-hmm. Gumroad has seen yeah. a lot of individual solo creators. Yeah. So I want to get into this, but I do want to ask, what did you learn about Hollywood? You mentioned that that because you dropped it. Yeah, totally. I learned a lot. I mean, I lo- I learned a lot about what's similar with VC and startup land. There's a lot of similarities. Like typically you have sort of like VCs in that world, which are like kind of like the executive producers, the studios, the people that have all the money that make the decisions on what gets made. You have the you know, the directors and filmmakers that are typically kind of like the uh, the founders. You have the producers, mm-hmm. which are kind of like the CEOs, like they kind of organize and build teams, but they're not the ones maybe doing all the creative work. Um, so the producers are more like the CEOs and not the directors of, of movies? Yeah, typically, typically the most in Hollywood, sort of there's like a social ladder in a sense, like the the producers are the, the people that make things happen. Mm. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, if you're like, um, like 12 Years a Slave, for example, was like a big, a big part of that happening was like Brad Pitt signing on as a producer. And he really helped make that oh, thing really? happen from from the from the get go or like Charlie's Theron has like a production company. They did Girl Boss and a bunch of other things. And a lot of the uh, it's where it starts. It's mm-hmm. where most of the of the projects in Hollywood start. A producer often is given like is, you know, you you get scripts and things like that, but they're the ones that sort of, they're like maybe the angel investor. It's like a really active angel investor, basically. Interesting. It's is like it, the lead seed investor kind of. We hear so much about, it, and it's such a cool perspective having all of the perspective you have from Silicon Valley and then down there and and Hollywood. You you were there for about a year? Six months. Six months? Yeah, six months, yeah. And, and I know that you might have designs to want to go back or at least create mm-hmm. yeah. content for mm-hmm. uh for movie and film but yeah. the uh i think we, the typical perception is the that the director like spielberg is behind yeah. xyz where is the is the director more like a cto in in i think it depends Hollywood? like you definitely have those those sort of auteur-esque directors right like you have nolan tarantino spielberg's probably one of them Though now Spielberg, I think mostly mostly produces, um, but which actually in most cases most people are producing, right? Because you can produce multiple things at once. You can mm. really only direct one movie a year or something like that, right? Uh, max. Um, if you're Nolan, you can do that. You can do like a movie every three years, and that's like your thing. Mm-hmm. So I think there are exceptions for people like Tarantino and Nolan, but in general, the the directors are kind of like. Yeah, CTOs would be a, probably a pretty good. Um, cinematographers would probably be a little bit closer to, to what a CTO is in a, in a startup. But yeah, they're kind of brought in often, right? So it's like, hey, we have like this great script. We need to find a director for this. Just like you'd find an actor, you know, just like you'd find anybody else. Uh, talent in a sense, right? Directors are talent. Um, often a director will will have a script and bring it to it, you know, like I think in the Joker context, it was like Todd Phillips was was the director and, and maybe even the writer or half the writing team. And he brought it to Universal and was like, I really want to make a direct this thing. And Universal mm. was like, this thing's going to bomb, but here's a little bit of money. Oh, really? Because he did the hangover and like, you know, like, but like, don't talk about this, not in this political time. <laughs> like, you know, here's 50 million bucks. Like, we'll see what it does. It makes a billion bucks. And everyone's like, oh, of course we knew it was going to work. It's like, no, you didn't. I really didn't know. At least, yeah, at least according to the stories that I that I've heard, yeah, uh, and that's a big one. I mean, that's one of the biggest things, and the, one of the big lessons I'd say that I try to communicate to creators is like, no one knows, man. Like people think they right. know, people especially like to have a story that they know, right? But they're just like in venture, right? Like I'm not. Of course, there are good investors and bad investors. Like I'm not saying that there's like zero, sort of just like it's a total crapshoot. It's not, but there's a large amount of it. And no, I will give a below the line answer for <laughs> perspective as an angel investor. Yeah. I have no idea. 
Mm-hmm. And that's obviously on the earlier side of things. And who knows how good I am at it. But so it's my own perspective. But I will invest in things that 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 hit all of the the watermarks that I need to hit the high watermarks of of you know the, the standards and and I do have a little bit of a checklist, but I have no clue. Yeah, above that point, there's you never know, and that's why almost every angel investor is told do more deals like bias towards more right right and then and honestly like i mean like honey i think came out of nowhere for most people right plaid like there were maybe some kind of pseudo obvious deals in hindsight like slack or stripe or pinterest like that were just growing so fast even in the early days and had great teams but and maybe sort of repeat founders or something like that but a lot of these massive exits like uh, credit karma just happened well even no like slack really. it's the what was it uh tiny co you know it was a gaming company it was a tiny spec tiny spec so just so gaming company so crazily different than what it ended up becoming so that's almost it's a hallmark of people 10 plus year journey right 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 and people kind of knew maybe in 2013 but uh that it was it was great but that was four years after (laughs) they were wandering in the dark and you were and it was like a hip chat clone too right everyone in the valley was like this is yes it's better than hip chat but it's like not it's not, you know, the second coming. Yeah. Yeah. And HipChat's been around for a long time, is run by this, you know, this big organization already. And then. And you were early at Pinterest. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like, hey, this is. I mean, I felt it. I definitely felt it. Employee number two, right? Yep. Employee number two. I actually remember after we raised the Series A, we're in the one of the, I mean, the one conference room that we had in the, in the, in the apartment. And I remember like after the news, like I think the uh, Ben and Paul, the founders had left and we were talking as, and, and one of the employees was like, I was like, this is going to be huge. Like, this is a billion dollar. I was like, no doubt. Right. And it was just like, I was the only one say, saying that because I, I, I was like the new kid on the block. Right. Yeah. And and I remember the guy next to me was just like, I've done this so many times. It always, <laughs> it always feels like this is going to be the thing. Like, it's not like just it might be. But like, don't get your hopes up because this is common. Like, yeah. you know, it was. Well, we'll but we'll talk about this. And you in, don't know in the thread optimism being yeah. extremely key. Yes. And yes. And I, I think it's it's often the, the angel investors that are replete with optimism that be. do the best because you can't it's too easy to be cynical. But, you know, a, a good that's a good that's hilarious that you were like, this is it. We're on a rocket ship. <laughs> it turned out to, to it be. turned out to be right. <laughs> and and I know that Sarah Tavel, who's at Benchmark now, she was on on the podcast a few weeks ago and she mentioned in that episode that when she was at Bessemer. And she invested. It's kind of crazy full circle. She mentioned to me a few weeks ago that when they invested the Series A for Pinterest, Bessemer, they were the only term. She didn't know this for years until Ben told her years later, you know, y'all were the only people that gave us a term sheet. So maybe, the, you know, to the uh, to the founders, they were like, shit, we only got one term mm-hmm. sheet. And that could be sobering, but they were right. You were right. Yeah. Sarah was right. Yeah. You never know the below the line, right? Like it to a lot of these companies like i there's there's one company i remember meeting with the ceo now it's a it's a it's a unicorn and everyone they have this great trajectory and i remember meeting up with him because they were thinking about buying gumroad sort of as a talent acquisition and and he you know he was like yeah we we almost had to do layoffs like we had a whole plan uh because we did we're not able to raise money and then like the market changed and that we got a term sheet mm-hmm. on friday at a 750 million dollar valuation Wow. Like, and it was an amazing term sheet, kind of like, I think the Bessemer thing. It yeah. was like, 
you know, it was just totally different. And like, no one is ever going to know that we have, you know, we had a layoff plan and all these things in place. Like we were very, you know, on that trajectory, but like it worked, you know, and so, you know, you don't know like what's super close to, and I think that's the sort of the advice I think for creators is in that context would be like, you don't know what is going to work and you don't know how long it might take. Like you might Mm -hmm. be, there's that image that's like ingrained in my head of like these two people mining for gold. Have you ever seen this? And like one person gives up and turns around right before, right. Like they are going to break, break through, through the whatever, you know, the metaphorical gold mine. And then one person, you know, spends an extra one day and gets there, you know? So you don't, you just don't know. You don't know what's going to hit. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I want to talk about the, the themes that came up from this thread as well as the, the tactical, uh, advice. So both kind of the, the larger perspective, larger themes that you just noticed in people asking questions and then the tactical side. And it seems like one of the themes that I saw in all of the comments was that, and I think it, in some ways it's many, it's, it's part of the reason of doing this podcast. People have this version of their heads, this version of the story in their heads that gold is like right there, you know, it's five inches down. Mm-hmm. And, and the more that people hear, realize, acknowledge the real versions of these stories, we'll talk about one of your favorite authors that wrote, He's become one of your favorite authors of all time. Mm-hmm. And yet, how many books did he write before he got his first? Before he got his first sale, he was he was on his 13th book when he when when his first when his seventh book sold. God. Okay, so we'll talk about and that. And each book is long too. These are not <laughs> snippy books. They're each, you know, hundreds of thousands of words long. So he was a million words in plus. Well, that's a perfect illustration of that that gold is is often you know a thousand feet deep rather than just uh, a few inches. Mm-hmm. Um, but zooming out before getting into into those types of stories, when you tweeted this out, what were some of the themes that you noticed in people's responses? What were some of the patterns, if there were any, with where people took the conversation at? Basically saying, "Hey, I can help outline a plan for you if you just tell me the creative work you want to be mm-hmm. making money off of." Yeah, I mean, I think I think one one definitely constant was people had a had a very much a clue of the broad topic to like board games or music or filmmaking Um, a lot of it was like sort of location specific they felt like oh it's like i need to figure this out for my community but there wasn't a lot of like deep thinking i think about what in startups is sort of like a default which is like your go-to-market strategy right which is like who who are you starting with and so i think a lot of people focus on that kind of like 10-year kind of like, okay, I want to be here and didn't really consider like, oh, like I can't just say music. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's a very vague, you know, I got a lot of responses that are like, I want to make music full time. And it's like, okay, like that's like saying you want to do a startup. I mean, it's like, what does that mean? It's like saying I want to run full time. Yeah. I want to cycle full time. It's a very, very, yeah, like long distance sprints who know like just so many competitively on the side yeah so i think that's a pretty important thing because i think the more you can visualize what it looks like then you can you can aim towards it right but if you're just if you're open to everything Mm -hmm. you might do nothing you're just you know you're and i think that's the you know we mentioned that the writing teacher i had brian sanderson and he was super i think he had a very clear idea like i'm gonna write a book a year for the rest of my life you know, and one of them wow. will sell. And then one, you, it's kind of a one way switch. Like one, once one of them sells one, you, now you have professional help. You'll get better faster and 
you'll start building up an audience and then, you know, your next book's going to sell, your next book after that's going to sell, you know, and since then he's taken a lot of those books before he sold, you know, those one through 12 and sold a lot of those too. He had, he probably had to rewrite them, but he sold those as well. And so, yeah, you just, he had a very, he was like, I love doing this. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how I can structure my life in a way so that I can do this, you know, because that's just what I'd prefer to do. One of, uh, one of my friends, Michelle Rial, she's great Instagram account. Um, she has a book of her own on these illustrations. She has an illustration that Tim Ferriss retweeted last week that basically says on the left hand side, it says, what's your intention? And uh, on the right, it says, what's the outcome? If your intention is to, she had it written down in a really uh, cool way, but it was something along the lines of, if your intention is to get noticed, then the outcome is, let me bring it up so that I don't, that I don't, so I get it right. But she basically said, yeah, if your intention is to get noticed, the result is you make mediocre work. Like if the real goal is like, I want to make music full time so that I could be up on stage, mm-hmm. so that I could be in front of an audience that adores what I'm doing. Yeah then the result is make mediocre work. But if the intention is to make good work, then the result uh, she put down is to get noticed. And and what I mm-hmm. what I want to get yeah. into with you is the intention. Yeah. Um, so with people that would say kind of these vague things, do you think that that had to do with their intention or what they really wanted wasn't necessarily creative work? Yeah, I think so. I think that's a really, really good insight is that there's a lot of, I don't know, like lying to yourself almost in a sense that like really what a lot of these folks want to do is they want to uh, be financially independent and they don't want to work nine to five or or what have you. And some of these people are sort of surface that a little bit more, whereas I think other people like don't. And it is really, yeah, it, it a lot of them don't really want to do the work. Like they, they don't want to write a book a year for 10 years before one sells. And that's fine. I'm not telling anyone they have to do this, but I think being reasonable about like how much work it takes and how you should feel good about doing the work too, right? It's like, if you can make mining for that gold fun, hmm. you're probably gonna do it longer and your chances of actually getting to it is is probably gonna be higher, right? Paul Graham says this, I think, in startups, he's like, the best way to make money is to stop worrying about the money. One of the worst ways to make money is to really obsess over how to make money. It's this, right. this kind of weird paradox, right? Because if someone's really excited about this goal, you basically have to tell them, like, stop thinking about that goal. Like your job should actually be to forget that goal is important, right? right? It's just like I get DMs all the time. They're like, I want to build a business and start a startup. And I just really feel like I should do that. And I'm just like, why? Like why? Like running a business is not that fun. Right. You're answering email most of the time. You're dealing with people problems. Like what? What? what is beneath? It's like it is getting to that intention. Like why do you want to do that? Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to do that? Like there's you really should figure that out. Because ideally like the, the and you'll see this in almost every success story this sort of overnight success 10 years in the making right like taylor swift or any of these people like they or this brian sanderson brian sanderson the, uh brandon brandon sanderson brandon sanderson the author you you put in a lot of work a lot of time uh some of these crafts take a long time to get good at i did the math like i was like i wanted to figure out of how long it would take me to be a full-time fine art painter um this is sort of when gumroad had plateaued and i was like trying to figure out like what i wanted to do next and i thought painting would be kind of this like totally opposite thing, you know, to get into. And I did the math and I fig- I figured out roughly, I was like, okay, 50%, it seems like 50% of art school graduates can do it full time when they graduate. And the other 50% might take them an extra two to four years, you know, 
And then you can do the math on that. Like how many hours is a four-year degree? How many hours of classes is a four-year degree? How many of those classes are spent in bullshit classes and how many of them are actually learning the skill, frankly, right? Right. Uh, like actually painting and drawing and some art history and things like that. Um, and I think the math came out to be like on the low end as little as 2,000 hours. And I'm like, okay, those are the people that need those extra years. And then on the on the high end, it was like between four and 8,000 hours. Like if you're really killing it and just working your tail off, like you're at the top of the class, you're putting in around 8,000 uh, hours over the course of four years. Right. And you do the math and it's like not impossible. You're in school, that's what you're doing, right? And so right. I just kind of reverse engineered it. And I was like, okay, this is how many hours, I wanna do this in two years. Cause I, I wanna be at like the bottom of that 50% that makes it like, I wanna do it in two years. How do I do that? I have to do it roughly 20, 20 to 40 hours a week. For two years, I'll be a full-time uh, artist, statistically. Right. You can always break the odds, like, but it's it's useful to just have the statistics because I think a lot of people think they're above the above average, like they're extraordinary, right. or they're below, right? Like, I think that goes both ways, and I th I saw that a lot in the in the comments was like, I have imposter syndrome, like I don't think I'm good enough, like I can't get started, I'm scared, and I'm like, I don't have a really good answer for you besides like you're probably just more average than you think, one way or the other, one way or the other. If you're, yeah, it's, you know, just like strength in numbers like hide in the crowd right like just you're probably in the middle it's better to assume that tell the same thing to startup founders like you think you're extraordinary you're probably not like right. you just aren't everyone in this room thinks they're extraordinary that's just impossible and so and even the extraordinary companies like slack spend four years yeah, in totally. the wilderness figuring it out yeah people say the collison brothers are extraordinary right but i mean they sold a company for five million bucks before stripe like that would not be considered an extraordinary hit Right. These two sort of genius founders or whatever. Um, and so it's, you never know. You never know. Ben, you know, CEO of Pinterest was, you know, that was his fourth startup. Right. Was, that's what, and I think that that's the immense power of hearing the real stories that you can recalibrate. Foundationally speaking on this topic, I felt like going through all of the, the, the comments, there were a, a number of really interesting things, patterns. One of them that came forward was just the recalibration of assumptions or recalibration yeah. of expectations of how much work goes in to creating a what would be seen by uh, a novice as a successful effort. And I mean, in the first uh, 20 minutes, we mentioned this uh, this author, your favorite author, Brendan Sanderson. Brandon. Brandon. <laughs> I will get this right. No problem. Um, and, it, and it's, you know, 13 years yeah. Uh, before yeah, selling yeah. his first book, we have Slack and it's four years. And that was a repeat founder. Yeah. Um, After Flickr, right? Yeah. I, I mean, already a sold legitimate, Flickr. very name brand startup. Yeah. Right. And still had to start from scratch in four years. Four years, 40 hours a week is probably around yeah. 10,000 hours. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and one of the things that I, I noticed would people, they would point to one of their creative efforts and act as if like it's done. Now they just need the financial side of it. But you outlined a really interesting, pretty foundational formula. I'd say skill, then the audience, then the money. Mm -hmm. Do you mind walking me through yeah. what you meant by skills, then the audience, then the money? Yeah. So I think that was in response to someone who was talking about like wanting to do a zine or a graphic novel or, or something, comic strip or something like that. And I think a lot of people, especially the internet is great because it exposes you to all of these stories. But I think one of the things that it does maybe sort of like hide like there's so bright those stories that you forget or like you can't even see like all the work you mm -hmm. know you see instagram and you just see like the fitness models or whatever you don't see them 
it's right. a lot of work to be you know it's not easy right. uh like the kardashians probably work out like a lot you know they eat i mean it's just it's a lot of work i think and that's it's good to appreciate the work that goes into whatever thing you're trying to do and so yeah i just i was just like look like you have just one you have to be really good you have to you have to be really good that is sort of a baseline right and the great news with that is like that's fully in your control audience second or so skill first audience second less in your control but still significant like you can you can kind of do almost like direct sales you can slowly build an audience you can find people that would be interested in the topic and tell them about your artwork and the things that you're doing and drive interest that way and this is great for like topical events right like if you're politics right now if you're if you want to figure out how your art can associate with like the 2020 election is a great way to build an audience because mm. guess what like I don't know how many millions of people, dozens of millions of people care about this thing, are are following it literally every single day. Like going to Twitter moments or events or whatever they call it, they rebrand it every few <laughs> explore or whatever. And like, what what are those topics? Coronavirus, right? There are people that are really good at this. In technology, two of the sort of most, I, I would say sort of two of the most quote unquote famous people uh, now nowadays are Balaji and Naval. How do they rise? Like crypto bitcoin mm -hmm. was a big part of it balji now is really into and actually involved as well but like really interested in talking about the coronavirus covid19 and if you track their audiences like that's so dumb. true yeah they they're i think the brightest stars can seem timeless but in many ways yeah a lot of naval's uh, content today is timeless but you're absolutely right it was the crypto uh topical Mm -hmm. you know tsunami he rode that and of course angelist was like angelist, the center yes. of startups so he had startups conquered basically right. he had right? the like skills had startup the skills you. were there exactly he was developing these skills and and talking to founders every single day i would assume he was meeting tons and tons of people all the time and teaching founders right so you're sort of like encapsulating these you're figuring out like okay what am i saying all the time right mm -hmm. the great stuff to put on twitter uh angelist of course and then Crypto was kind of like, a, I, I would say like a concentric circle outside of technology, right? Like that really, like there's a lot more people interested in crypto that than live in San Francisco and do want, will ever raise venture capital, et cetera. That's one of the beauties of crypto. But it fits very much into AngelList, right? Because that's sort of democratizing uh, and decentralizing like the sort of venture capital early stage financing model is like, has a lot of alignment in crypto, right? And so mm -hmm. like you can, and then you can broaden like a lot of this, other stuff that he talks about now is similar kind of sovereign individual government systems, individual thinking, et cetera. It's like sort of a broadening concentric circle on that. Right. And so there's a lot of like, you can, you, and this is something a lot of people don't do because the number one thing you can do as a creator is just find the person that you want to be, you know, and then just like literally like write their, their biography for them, like figure it out. Like the real version, you know, what, what did, what did they go through? Mm -hmm. And even like, I'll, you know, like to me, it's obvious, like, of course, I'm going to, I am I know Balaji's trajectory. I know Naval's trajectory because I want to do similar things as what they're doing. It just makes, you know, of course I would do that. But there are a lot of people that don't, don't do that instinctually or they think it's weird. They think it's creepy or, you know, and I'm like, no, this is, if you want to like the number one thing you can do, if you want to make a movie, talk to someone who's made a movie before you want to do a podcast, talk to someone who's done a podcast before because mm -hmm. they'll, they'll just show you all the holes they'll be like don't step over there right like that's what, a what makes people hesitant to do that 
I think it's it's a fear that it goes back to what we were talking about before. I think it's either a fear that you're too good and you don't need it. You're not going to avoid, you know, you know, you're better than them or or you're reading their stuff. So you're you're going to avoid these mistakes like you you kind of believe you're past that or you're, you don't feel you're good enough. And you just don't. I think there are a lot of people that are on that. I feel side like that you like, need. That's so true that you, you feel like and I'll stop saying the word right because I do agree with so much what you're saying, <laughs> you know, repeating myself. But I love how you've articulated both ends of the you're probably average, but you misplace yourself on one end to the other. And I know a lot of artists, my wife's an artist, we have a bunch of artist friends. And I think it's very common to think, okay, I'm not good enough yet to talk to so-and-so, to go, out, mm -hmm. go ask them. Or if you want to make movies, you feel like, well, I need to do X, Y, Z first before I can talk to my friend's neighbor who makes movies. Yeah. And that's, I think that's super wrong, but also mm -hmm. thinking that you're too good to go gobble up every bit of information possible from everyone that you can yeah. meet is also, you know, a, a fallacy and sets yeah, you back. Totally. And it's 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 like studying, right? I, I I use the metaphor of like exercising versus training a lot when I talk to people. And I, I basically just, I, I'm like, a lot of people exercise. Very few people train. Exercise is doing something for like the sort of short-term immediate benefit, calorie burn, et cetera, feeling great. Training is like sort of you have a goal. You're training for a marathon, et cetera. You're not just exercising 30 minutes a day to lose weight. You have a goal. And and what that does is you can reverse engineer it and, and have sort of linear incremental progress towards that goal. And it's the same thing. Like I think a lot of people live on Twitter or, or spend a lot of time here and there, read books, et cetera. But they don't have a goal. They're just like trying to get better, sort of vaguely better. They might follow me and other people and say, oh, I'm learning and getting better. And it's like, well, you have to have a plan because you should be – implementing you should be uh studying right you should be spending an hour really researching like okay like this person is where i want to be in five to ten years how do they get there like reading their tweets is not going to tell you that you're going to have to go read some blog posts they wrote in 2011 you know about their journey or a talk that they gave at some conference when they were a nobody and then you can piece together your own story, their their story. And they might not even know. It's been so long for them. They've probably distorted their own. You know, like I didn't even know Pinterest only had one term sheet in A, right? Like I don't, I don't know a lot of this these facts. I assume they had more. I, I guess, you know, I never, I was an employee at the time, right? But like, so it's good to explore and really figure that out. But I think a lot of people don't have that, uh, that perspective of like, oh, I need, to, I can, even that that's possible that you can pick one person and just say, okay, I want to make zines who, who full time. I want to, you know, have a comic strip like a Nathan Pyle or something like that with the famous, you know, he started that like less than two years ago, I think. And now millions of followers on Instagram and Twitter and every well, single one goes viral. And how about walk, walking yeah. us through an example of, let's say you want to make a comic strip yeah. or a, uh, you want to be a comic artist or let's say a graphic novelist, yeah. graphic novelist, you get a tweet you know, a few days ago that says, I want to make money off of graphic mm -hmm. novels. Yeah. Walk me through the skills audience and a, a tactical example skills audience and, and money. Yeah. So I would probably, one, you have to understand, you, you should figure out how much work that is, right? Like how, how long is it going to take? Like Nathan Pyle, yes, he has a really successful Instagram account and things like that. And he has a sort of a best-selling book, et cetera. But he, I assume, has been working on this craft for a long time before that, probably doing freelance or other editorial work, you know, as a, as an illustrator. Um, often that's the case. Um, we see a transition from like freelance to independent creator all the time. Um, typically the next step after that is like business owner. And so, yeah, it's figuring out like, okay, what is the true story? That's number one, figuring out if you're, if you're willing to put in the work and then, and then starting to put in the work, right? Like, so building up your skills, doing the work, 
the great thing about the internet is you can do sort of like at least the first two and even sometimes the, the, all three at the same time. You don't have to just do skills, right? And I always recommend sharing your work early and often. Start early and often and keep going and learn in public is the best. Like, that's why I tweet all the time, even though I don't think I'm right all the time. I am learning all the time. I would probably disagree with stuff I've said on the internet as recently as yesterday or something. I don't know. <laughs> and what would um, that look like specifically for the graphic novelist? Yeah. We'll, we'll say uh, Sarah, the graphic novelist, what is what yeah. is she going to go through uh, to get on the other side of yeah. what so, you see on the internet? No, she, she would pick like a topic, like what is she really passionate about? Let's say she's passionate about like the Renaissance, like period of, you know, and like, like how people fought wars and like she would create a story in that world and she would make a comic strip about two characters, let's say that fall in love in this, in this time period on two sides of this war, whatever the story is. Right. And then, but she clearly has a deep interest in this. So she's not just doing a comic. She's like teaching people about like what people would wear and how they would talk and what they would eat and all these topics, just cause that's her passion. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it's really important, I think, to find like two passions and connect them because it's it's like the problem with like I make music or I want to make music. It's like that's too that's just too broad. Like all you got to do is find one thing and now you have a line. You've like mm -hmm. sort of like constrained yourself and it's like, OK, cool. You have like historical sort of history here and then you have comics like that is great because you have like the the thing that you're doing and then you have the audience already there. It's like the people that care about obviously you want everyone that loves comics to 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 go see this and, and consume it just like you want everyone to watch a movie who loves watching movies, but that's not what people do. There's demographics. This is one of the mm -hmm. first things you learn in Hollywood. Like the fundamental question you get is who is this for? Who is the audience? Who is the demo? Is it like, And you'll get that right when you have the very hundred percent a hundred page. Yeah. One uh, page. Yeah. It's like like name demo like really because it's like if you're if you're talking to cartoon network and you, you can't you can't you have, like it's like very they only do a specific demo right with right. that might be four to six eight to ten eight to twelve like there's like i don't know exactly the bands but right. it's very constrained right disney's not going to do an adult movie ever mm -hmm. right even like their closer to adult stuff is still kind of e for everyone in a sense i guess maybe pg-13 or something but you know there's like there's yeah. constraints on 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 a lot of these things and because a lot of these people already have a built-in audience they have built-in distribution that distribution has a certain demographic profile and mm -hmm. so it's much easier to sell things it's kind of like a what is it, the negative net churn or something like what is that term people love in enterprise yeah for uh, SaaS net negative churn right yeah. so it's like the same thing which is like how do we sell Product, new products to our existing customer base because mm -hmm. that's so much easier and cheaper. It's kind of the same thing, right? It's like, how do how do you... So Sarah take... has to decide. And it, would this be uh, right in the very beginning or is she working on I the mean, craft? You, can, and, you and... can always iterate on this stuff, right? But it, I do think it's important to do it right at the beginning because you're going to get it wrong. You you know, and 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 almost definitely. You'll like you'll think it's for this audience and then it's actually for this other audience. But if but you should still pick an audience. Mm -hmm. uh, a painter that I really like, he he says like I I don't know if I'm right, but I am certain. So he mm -hmm. paints with certainty. Strong views weekly held is kind of a similar yeah. idea, right? Um, Often wrong, but never in doubt. Ex yeah, exactly. It's like you should commit mm -hmm. because if you don't commit, you're not learning. Like you're not learning enough. Like there's so much opportunity you're leaving on the table when you don't commit fully. And the same thing with Twitter. People are like, this is stupid. Why would you say this? And I'm like, well, I didn't know it was stupid until I tweeted it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if I said it in like a more less certain way, it would no one would have paid attention to it. You know, I kind of have to 
you know, it's like I, I use the example of like emotional resonance a lot, like with Marvel movies and things like that. Like, obviously, they're not real. Like in fighting movies, typically every 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 punch is is, is done twice. It's shown twice. The person punching and the impact. But you see both. Impossible. <laughs> right. The punch happens once. But you show both. Why? Because it makes the punch more impactful. Mm-hmm. It's twice as powerful. You're actually seeing it twice. I mean, that's what, interesting. So there's a. Is that a lie? Would you accuse the film? No, it's like you're 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 embellishing. You're in in sort of in in rhetoric. You're, you're the hyperbole, right? Like same thing with Twitter. Like I I might say something like everyone should start a company. Do I mean literally everybody? No, but like I think most people, at least people with the context that I have, like know what I'm saying, which is like mm-hmm. more people than currently do start companies should. Yeah, you know, and and in that or should be able to or what have you. Well, and in that story of of. Sarah knowing so she's building the skills yeah and that what what should this this fictional person hypothetical person ex- expect for building the skill to be a graphic novelist that's making money off of their work I would say you know I would honestly four years like I I love the uh the four-year mark because one it, it can if you're full-time correlate as you mentioned to the 10,000 hours that's so sort of so famous mm-hmm. um, and maybe not perfectly accurate but a good benchmark again like certain not right right it's just good to have that and then also it it correlates to the university system which i love because that's sort of like an entrance to professional life for many people so i all i said i'm just like okay well the traditional path is you spend four years at a university you spend a lot of money you get in debt and then you can be professional so if you can figure out how to do that in the same time period without you know in a different system you're you know it's a net it's easy it's easy i think to sell that idea be like well you'd already spend four years going to art school so like you can like that tells you it's possible to do it's also no secrets it's also a little self-selecting for what your intention is if your intention is to get noticed can you wait four years yeah but if your intention is to do good work you get to start on that track right now today exactly and so i love i I love sort of that four years it also just feels short enough that people can think about it but also like it's like, no, this is going to be a lot of work. Like, this is not going to happen for you overnight. And, you know, depending on your schedule, you might be able to put in an hour a day or a few hours a week. But at least you can start thinking about, like, the sort of, like, grander aspirations to it. And then it's producing, right? It's like being prolific. Mm-hmm. It's like making a lot of comics, you know? A lot of people think, like, you know, they see Joe Rogan or some of these, you know, YouTubers or comic artists and things, and they they just see their good work. That's what the algorithms do. They promote the good mm-hmm. work, right? All of them have plenty of bad work. Some of it is findable. You can go find Joe Rogan's first podcast episode. You know, he's on whatever, 1178 or something now, right? So that's, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, he did episode number one. And and I've heard that. I bet it's still online. Yeah, yeah. I've heard it's still online and I've heard it's absolutely terrible. I have heard it's just like a, not great at all. Now that's really cool. The The online documentation of these things that would have been easily swept under the rug mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Now you, can you can't see, see it. You right. can't, John Singer, sorry, one of my favorite oil painters of all time, can't find his early work. I hope, because it's, the earliest I found it's very good. I just assume there's more out there, but it, you know, he was, he died in 19, early 1900s, right? So yeah, it's not out there. Can't find it. Leonardo da Vinci, et cetera. I got to see Philip Glass, a composer, uh, recently here in San Francisco, and as chance would happen after, and I and I love making music on the side, and after afterwards, we were in the same elevator going down. That's and awesome. I said, you know, I've been making music for about 15 years. And in his in his concert, he talked about his progression. And he was 
talk about it, skills, then then audience, then then money progression. He was, I think, in his late forties, like forty eight, before he, he ever played Carnegie, which was his goal when he was like eighteen. Took him till he was forty eight, and he was still driving a taxi cab while he played because he he couldn't make enough money to do it yeah. full time to compose full time. And someone that a lady that had seen him two nights before was in his cab. I swear this is the story verbatim. Was in his cab two two days later and said, "Philip Glass, you have a name of a the name of a famous composer." <laughs> and he said he didn't have the heart to tell her that this composer yeah. that she that she liked was driving her cab. Wow. And and so in the elevator on the way down after the performance, I said. I've been composing electronic music production for, I've been doing it for about 15 years, but I've told myself it'll be 10 more years before I'm any good. And he said, oh, that's optimistic. <laughs> and and it was you know perfect response. And he's he meant it, I think, both lightheartedly and very... Uh, uh, There's shit, always shit. a... If anyone, if anyone could attest that, it's him with yeah. his own story. And yet it, it stuck in my mind. It takes a long time and that's... I've seen some early work, some of my favorite creators, uh, some of my favorite oil painters, some of my favorite writers, and it's so bad. And it just gives me so much hope for myself because like, I'm not the best, like, actually my, my wife likes to tell me like one of the reasons I am, I sort of like do have like this accelerated rate of learning sometimes compared to other folks is I am so bad in the beginning. Whereas some of the people that, you know, she went to art school um, uh, for animation and and she said like some there's certain people that are really good early and that can be bad because you just you you think you're good whereas actually the some of the best people are the people that suck in the beginning and you you know, have no attachment to what you're doing and you're like I just need to get really good I'm just going to work really hard to do it but if you believe you're going to get you know it's kind of like it's easier to go from a B to an A to keep an A kind of thing you mm -hmm. know when well, we you and I deal. both experience it with Gumroad and with Tilt being mm -hmm. a spotlight saying yeah. you guys are crushing it you're killing it yeah and that really can obscurity is your friend as well as the expectation management in yeah. your own head it's like uh the you know the child prodigies or the uh sort of nba stars that all go bankrupt you know right. four years into their retirement or whatever like there's just so much it's much better have to have a sustainable rise even though no one wants that and you know like it's but but the reason I think is because when what people don't believe have enough confidence in that sustainable rise, so they're like, if this happens sooner, I'll have confidence that at least I'm here. Mm -hmm. But people don't believe that that sustainable rise is ever going to get them there, and you you just need that belief. You just need that belief that that like it will work out for you, and you might have to live cheaply. You might have to be a night security guard for for a while while you're writing books, but it's possible, and it's fun to do that, you know. And you just have to determine like, is it worth it? Right? Is it worth it for me to? I do really strongly believe that if like if Sarah, this hypothetical comic creator, like got really, really good and, you know, spent four years, let's say, doing a comic like every three days or like XKCD style or something like that, she would have hundreds of comic strips, which by itself would be sellable as a as a hardcover book or something for like 20, 30 bucks. Right. And you could start doing the math. And like when when she has, you know, when she has every new audience member that comes into that cycle, like after that sort of gestation period, right? Like three or four years down the road, there's all this stuff that they can go buy. That's like stickers and hardcover books and all these mm -hmm. things. It's not like awesome, like you had a hit, your first thing blew up. You have a million people that check out your work. You, and you, have, one thing. you have nothing, yeah, you have one pin.
for like six bucks or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's actually much better. Like Brandon Sanders, he's, he said this all the time. He's like the vast majority of even professional, very successful authors, the ones that do really well are the ones that have a huge library because every single new customer, a uh, new fan is going to read your book and then they're going to go buy. Like he often sees it because he has, you know, a dozen plus books out. Like one customer will drive like $300 worth of revenue. Right, right, way is, more than if they were, and just do the math. I mean, like if you're selling, you know, that's thirty. If you had one book, that's the equivalent of thirty sales of a single book. Uh, it just it's thirty. That's thirty x is a huge multiple. Like mm-hmm. that's a lot, right? And so if you if you think about CAC and all these startup terminology, and we'll get, it, I think it is really important to to like for creators to think about the business side, and that's one of the reasons like we're so open with the company and things like that. Is I I want creators to be more businessy. Because I think it helps, but you know, if you think about and what do you mean, what do you mean? Cost, by, yeah, what do you mean by that? Well, if you if you know that like every single new new fan you you get is a three hundred dollars in LTV, quote unquote, um, lifetime value, of, yeah, lifetime buying, value, buying multiple things, yeah, exactly. Then you can invest a certain more in finding those people, right? Mm-hmm. You can do book tours, you can do uh, events, you can do all these things. But if you know that every new customer is is one book sale because you have one book guess what you can barely do anything it's mm. almost impossible that's very counterintuitive that that essentially you're you're kind of saying that it's content is appreciating even if you don't think it yes you know? content i really fundamentally believe that technology depreciates over time and content appreciates over time technology is phenomenal uh for for so many reasons but you're you're building on shaky ground ground that shifts all the time and if you're not constantly updating stuff and getting better and improving like it is a little bit like a dark forest out there like you're gonna get eaten or you know it's mm-hmm. a it's a changing game right you could be hip chat you could be hip and, chat and then slack comes up right yeah exactly you never know and content doesn't really have that problem uh because you are if you make a great book great story it's timeless like the concepts that we typically tell stories about love revenge sacrifice like these are timeless stories some of the best-selling books of all time were written a long time ago (laughs) and they will sell forever until there are you know i'm sure that you know better books will come and replace them etc like harry potter i assume will at some point lose its pedestal as like the number one you know young adult book but it might take 10 15 30 300 700 1000 2000 who knows right Mm -hmm. um but yeah she she she'll you know jk uh, rowling will always be like a top author because she's created this thing that has sort of like almost just infinite value and she can right? do anything and it's gonna, it's gonna, that's it, really interesting. Sort of LTV on, on one of her readers is I don't know, thousands of dollars with, if you think, if you include the, the amusement parks and the musicals, I mean, it's a, right. there, I have friends that are, you know, in their twenties, thirties, forties, fifties that are huge fans. Right. And so like, I've got a friend that's 35 and reading all of the books. Amazing. It's just gone through the, all of the books in the last few months for the first time. They're phenomenal. And it, but she's that's good. so interesting. You know, that's the thing. She ought to skill first. You read Harry Potter. I will almost die on this hill. Like Harry Potter is just one of the best books ever written. It's phenomenal. What goes it's through your head so, when you say something like that? It's so it's I've reread them a couple years ago as an adult. And I, I changed the order of like I basically before I started rereading them, I made a list of my favorite books by memory. And then I reread them all. And they're short. And, you know, they're for, 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 for young adults. So you can read them like a book a day kind of thing. And I, I had a, a new order of my favorite books. It's kind of fascinating. Like a lot of the stuff I didn't like as a kid that were like more internal conflict. I liked a lot more as an adult and vice mm. versa. 
but they're just so well written. The stories are phenomenal. The characters. So every every book, we can get really deep into like fantasy. I w- yeah, I wouldn't mind for a little bit because you've studied this. I've you, studied this. I mean, you really hardcore. I've written. Right. I've written, written probably two to three hundred thousand words of this stuff. So I, for me, like if talking about that. But journey, it, and it often takes at, that. I want to get to a million. Um, a million words is my goal. Like well, I want to write a million words. Oh wow. In, so it was in fiction. Well, I do want to spend at least a few minutes on how you dissect the skill of of something like that, one, from yeah. my own curiosity, but two, I think it really does take someone with perspective like yours to really appreciate the work. Otherwise, someone like me that doesn't know anything about it, it's yeah. like, oh, she wrote in a coffee shop in her 30s, yeah. became single a billionaire, mom. single mom, became, those are the parts of those the story the, that, yeah. that, that stick out in, in most people's minds. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a musician evaluating musician yeah. or a writer evaluating Right, you go straight to no the skill. Who cares what you know the peripheral details? Mm-hmm. The skill was X Y Z. Do you mind? Sure. The skill? Yeah, let me do my best. Um, well, so the first thing is like how much time it took her, right? So she she done. I think I think the numbers between seven and fifteen. I don't know, depending on on what story like drafts of Harry Potter the first book before she sold it. So one, wow, she's done a lot of different iterations of this so sometimes people read harry potter and they're like this is the story but it's like no this is the story that got published (laughs) it's changed over time as she's improved it you know it didn't just come out this way and then the first chapter she how many years do you think that took probably between seven to probably like i would assume a draft a year or something like that with her lifestyle i assume that it was not easy you know being a single mom and things like that but yeah probably years years and years um and it was her first book harry potter's her first book that got i think that she wrote and got published uh, so it's possible there's kind of like this idea that you don't you, you know you're only going to sell your sixth book but if you really believe and you have conviction in your in your idea I, I i do believe you you can make it work for you but the first chapter she wrote i think 13 times she wrote the first chapter of harry potter over and over again like 13 different times it takes a, it's it's really hard and so 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 typically with 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 like fiction there's like three components to a story there's character setting and plot are like the sort of fundamental ideas that work together, right? There's the people in the world that are doing stuff. And there's different types of stories. There's milieu stories, which are about sort of an environment like Lord of the Rings. There's um, idea stories that are about it, like a very uh, sort of specific idea, like maybe the three-body problem. A lot of sci-fi falls into that typically. Uh, then you have a character stories, which are about a character changing over time. Which, and every story has all of these, right? But like different amounts. Um, and then there's uh, event stories, which are about sort of like a specific event happening. like like uh, Ender's Game or something, which is like the the war is often ticking time bomb type stories are. And are these creators also thinking about audience from day one? This is the audience. Yeah, like a young adult, for example, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm writing Harry Potter for this demographic. I assume either herself a long time ago, like I want to I want to write a book that I wish existed about love and like how love can can really conquer evil and just being a good human being and sacrificing and struggling and you know all these different ideas in there or or she wrote it for her children i I assume like one or the other probably and so that's it's good to write for a specific person and then figure out like who is that like draw the line like what is the what is the demographic around that person you know what what attribute of that person are you hooking into and like who else has that right and every author uh, sort of going back to those three character uh setting and plot every author i think has like one that they're really really strong at She's she's great at all three, but specifically her characters I think are phenomenal. And and you can you can see this because Harry Potter, Hermione Granger, Ron Weasley are real people to most. They exist in 
Like you could see them, like you could drop them into any environment and you would basically know how they act, mm -hmm. um, which is insane. Like to, to, you can't do that with most. Like if you took Katniss Everdeen from Hunger Games and like dropped Luke her in San Skywalker, Francisco, you'd have no idea. You know, what would they do? But right. like people, and obviously it's different, right? Because like the world of Harry Potter's, she was really clever. Like she, she, it's a magical world, but it's very much built mm -hmm. into the, into our world, right? Well, even um, like Bruce Wayne, I have no idea how you would actually act. Yeah, it. they're caricatures right. more than they are characters. Mm -hmm. And they're like allegories, you know, where she's like, no, these are humans. Like they're so well constructed. They're so complicated. They're not perfect. They have like a lot of flaws. Um, and so I think that's her, like just her fundamental skill. And and even the the descriptions, like when you're when you're when you're reading her work, you can get a very clear sense of like how good she is at like picking the few physical details that would describe like like personality, which is really hard to do. Like Harry Potter might have the rustled hair and the the glasses. Mm -hmm. You know, Hermione has like the curly hair and like the frazzled kind of look. There's just like she's God, really good at so figuring much out. communicated it's, in it's, these. It's it's all about information density, and mm -hmm. I use this. Uh, like compression algorithms is like a, a metaphor that I like a lot, which is basically like you have a, a file, like a picture and you need to zip it up, G zip it up or something like the goal is basically how do you lose as little data as possible, but save, you know, as much file size as possible, basically. Right. right. You're kind of like trying to like up that ratio. And the goal would be like, can you do can you represent that exact image with less? Right half the data according exactly. to the data. Exactly, and so that's what writing is too, right? Which is like how much, yes, you could spend like three pages describing Harry Potter, but can you do it in a sentence and communicate the exact same thing? Can you do that with an action or with a visual description, things like that? So it's a good I example, just waking up with frazzled hair communicates it's, so much. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, just Ron being a redhead is just like, and then there's there are studies that like personality traits and physical characteristics are, related and you know like there there are associations there mm. um so it's not all made up stuff right like there's there's legitimacy to it uh, social animal i think but uh talks a lot about it i don't know if he's people don't like him so much anymore but social animal great book i feel like explores a lot of these ideas um i can't vouch for the scientific nature of it but but and you know even something as simple as like and obviously her world building is phenomenal like the gryffindor or the, the sorting hat and the different houses Right. Um, the there's so many ideas in there that you just like you can picture in your head so clearly, which is just really hard to do for most books. You could read and forget about it completely. And so I think that was really great. Well done. Uh, and then and then just her plot too. I mean, just like the way that she thought about like that idea of like and and certainly like the the boy who discovers he's a wizard. Very tired trope. Like that's not a new idea. Has was not a new idea when she did it, but just like her execution ability on it right uh even just like the idea that the first chapter which she, she wrote so many times i assume it was much worse and got better but she starts it in this like very familiar setting right like the boy who lived under the stairs mm -hmm. even just that sentence is just like I, I think so it's like much. like just like so emotional i mean the, the boy who lives under the stairs like that's so deep i mean that i think that's one of the first sentences of the book maybe it's the first one maybe it's the chapter name i forget but it's essential to Harry Potter's personality that he basically like lives in a place that doesn't want him there. Mm. Um, and he doesn't really want to be there either, but he has nowhere else to go. This is like the whole world. His whole world is like this, like this little thing that, you know, he lives on the stairs. And so when he gets the letter and they try to hide it and he, you know, he like, and he discovers he's a wizard, that's just like this profound, profound kind of like, oh, I don't like, there's something else. And then like the whole, you know, Several of the books are about him like fitting into this entirely new world. These are all things that like characters and or kids deal with this stuff, like going to a new school. That's scary for most kids. Like imagine if like it's 
everyone's a wizard and you're not totally. right like that's even that's like a whole other level of uh it's just unfathomable how alien of an experience that would be right and so there's this just like the the thoughtfulness and attention to detail of all these elements are just like really just phenomenal like for example like every book starts has a, a similar structure except for maybe the last one which is like every book he's at home and then he has to go to hogwarts and then he come, he like the term finishes and it kind of follows this kind of cyclical pattern pattern over seven years. And every single time he goes to Hogwarts is a totally different way, right? In the first book, it's like the, uh, with Hagrid, I think, or something like that. And then the, or, or I guess the nine and three quarters platform, then the, the second time they miss and they have to take the car and they go into the Wasping Willow, they surface it later in the book. And like the third time it's like the horses, it's like always different. What's the significance um, of that in your mind? It's just different. It's just like this: you have you combine something that is familiar with something that's different. Like you know, Harry Potter has to get to Hogwarts. Like let's use that familiar plot sort of device, and but then just like totally change, you know, introduce a new character or introduce a new setting, right? And so like there's there's a saying in writing which is like every sentence should communicate, should move the needle on all of these things: character, every sentence, character, setting, and plot. The boy lived under the stairs. A great example. Character setting plot. Like, wow. And but that's brutally difficult. Right? I mean, if well, you're thinking and, about a hundred no, thousand novel, what's going through my my mind is someone that has studied you, someone that has studied it and written 300,000 words. It's required to appreciate just this first part of the equation. You're talking about skill. Yeah. And guess how much appreciate. I'm missing too, right? Because oh, yeah. I'm not done. Like, there's levels that I'm not even at probably right that are like i don't really appreciate probably the level of craft right. and so it is kind of a fractal in that way where you can just go deeper and deeper and deeper into it and yeah it's it's and it's also just stuff that you can't really like you can totally read about this these concepts and but like until you write enough it's hard to really get it into your flow like you can go read about it and then you won't implement any of it you know it takes a time to get it into your muscle memory in a sense well and going back to the the hypothetical example of sarah and her graphic novel i, I love that that tangent and and it, it really does expound on that first with sarah and the skill bucket it sounds like it's years and years mm -hmm. it is the years and years to even appreciate what great skill is yeah. as well Mm -hmm. It is the years of of delaying gratification of yes. of the the bits and pieces that the novice picks up and thinks, oh, it'd be cool to play in front of an audience, or it'd be cool to to be this person with a million followers around this best selling graphic novel. You delay the that aspect of it for the years and years. You also, I feel like, retune your mind for like, okay, this is not only going to take a long time, but it's going to be just multiple multiple tries, bunch mm -hmm. of stutter starts. 13 i doubt jk rowling was like all right it's gonna be 14 versions of the first chapter but let me get started it was probably like this first version might be at second version okay i'll do it a third time yep but then by book eight she's probably very used to it mm -hmm. of like okay it's gonna be multiple versions of each chapter and that's just mm -hmm. no matter the skill that it that she had accumulated up to that point so it's retuning your mind for all of these things it is being more aware of of these stories and jk rowling is the insane exception there is your your mm. favorite writer, mm. Brandon. Yes. Brandon Sanderson. Sanderson. <laughs> <laughs> who had written 13 books, 13 yeah. years, committed to writing a, a book a year without thinking about the the second order effects of selling or mm -hmm. or readership, or at least building it. He was probably thinking about but not building into the equation. So for someone like Sarah, I feel like it is, yes, it's 
it can be a hell of an observation or acknowledgement for it to be much longer than you think. But what is really interesting in that hypothetical versus someone like J.K. Rowling is to your point that you can be building all three of these things, the audience and yeah. the money and that's new, at the same time. Right? Because yeah, like, the internet mind- was not nearly as significant social media, et cetera. So now, yeah. Walk could, me through what it, what it would be like today for, for someone. I like mean, Sarah. For, for, you know, for, for, for Sarah, like one of the great things is like, as you're learning, you can start putting this stuff out there. Right. And so you don't have to like slave away on this book for years and years and years and years. You can write short stories. You can do other things you can do. And in her context, she would, she would be, uh, you know, putting out these like strips on, on Instagram and Twitter and things like that, posting them on Reddit, you know, every day. Them. As, as frequently as she can do it, you know, because like, you know, getting at, you know, those, those like how, you know, like that idea that like Harry Potter is going to Hogwarts, but in a different way each time is like such a simple idea. But I, I assume she didn't have that idea immediately. Like it took time to, and that feels obvious. Like, of course she would kind of structure it in this format, uh, but you don't have those insights until you've done it, a bunch of them. And you're like, oh, of course, like I should have started the book here. Right. And then you're like, crap, that's like 50,000 words in. So I'm going to have to basically throw away or like save these. But, you know, I'm starting from here now and continuing. And then you realize, actually, no, I shouldn't have started there. Like I should have started a little bit before. You know, it's just like, but you don't know until you've started like kind of like just making some steps. A good right? ex- a good example that is Finch, the street artist who's been on the podcast, got some of his art here in the room. He was creating these things and it, it wasn't until one of his pieces of art, the honey bear got accumulated a crap ton of likes on Instagram. Someone else posted it and it just went pretty viral. And then from then on, he's like, all right, that's the thing I'm going to make over yeah. and over and over again. Yeah. But yeah, there's no way he could have pre-constructed that without. And yes, and getting to it. It doesn't matter how long he could have meditated on what he should make. Like the way he got there was would probably be through making a lot of art right, mm-hmm. and posting a lot of art. Right. Yeah. He is um, as prolific as it gets. I know we've yeah. chatted about prolific over perfection. Yeah. And it is a phenomenal way to build up skill. Yeah. And you don't know exactly like you don't know what's going to work. And so when you when you have you want that library of content for people, because when you do go viral, you get mentioned by a celebrity, whatever makes you takes you to the next level, then you want all these followers. And these people aren't going to follow you if you have no content. Right. And so if you have like you see, you know, it's like one of the best feelings when you like discover a new artist and you're like, cool, I can spend five to ten minutes just like scrolling through hundreds of their amazing paintings you know i love that and it sucks sometimes when you find a great artist and there's like three posts you mm-hmm. know and so it's like it's really important to start early it also gives inspiration to people that are you know people want to follow your journey too right like right. over time you know now people know that the jk rowling story and things like that but like that you know that happens over time as you become more successful you've been doing it longer you you know you do talks and things like that you do book tours like people will start to get interested in your story and when you have all this content, you're you're constantly sharing your thoughts. You know, it's so much easier to be to start building up that skill, which is like another kind of interesting thing, right? It's like we talked. There's like writing on a, like a sentence structure. There's plot. There's just like so many layers. Of, it's a very compound skill, which is, I think why it's so hard. And then there's all the public speaking. There's the market. There's all these things you're gonna have to learn how to do, right? Inherently, as a creator, if you're running a business like marketing like yeah. sales. I mean, these distribution, are right. distribution, right? Distribution, like all these ideas, so key. branding, right. uh, marketing, et cetera. So you have to, it's it's just like starting out, like do it on a small scale. Like what does direct sales look like for a comic strip about the, in the Renaissance period? Like, well, it's probably like finding like all the 
comic subreddits and art history subreddits and like commenting and posting and like and that also takes years before the community is like let's elevate this person from the community and i think that is one of the scary parts of finding the audience and which i you know the things that are coming back to my mind about this this topic are reset uh, recalibrating the expectations but also that equation of skills audience and then the money as maybe that is a progression it's yeah. sequential but you also can invest in all of them yeah. at the same time totally and then the third thing that keeps coming up is that you're probably just average and whether you think you're great and you're scared of putting i feel like that that observation is probably one of the reasons a lot of people are afraid of that find the audience piece because either they they think they're really good but they've got some doubts and they don't want to they don't mm-hmm. want to find they don't out, wanna, oh, yeah. shit, I'm actually not exactly. Or they think they're really bad and they think that no one wants to see their stuff. But both of those are likely wrong. And if you can accept that you're average, then you can start to invest in that audience piece. And like yeah. you said, learn those muscles. At the same time, you're learning the writing. At the same time, you're learning the animation, the illustration, the the art, the music. I think it's important. Yeah, and I, you know, there's a, a, one of my favorite plein air uh, painters Nathan Fawkes, he who works at at DreamWorks and and stuff like that and Shrek and I he, he had a tweet the other day which is like people think I'm really good like I'm, I'm I am really good now I should be so much better like the amount of work I put in <laughs> like knowing how much work I put in I should not be this like I should be much <laughs> better than I actually am and I'm like so like there's this like interesting leveling there right like he he I don't know he's done I don't know, probably. 10,000 paintings you know he's just he's so prolific he's so good he can do these like five minute beautiful plein air paintings now um, and everyone thinks he's like a savant and he's like I know how much work I put in I know how bad I was like I should be much I should be like I mean I put in 30 40,000 hours of painting kind of thing you know mm-hmm. like just like and he's, he's a phenomenal artist like he's very self-deprecating but like believing that your average is I think really healthy because then you get rid of your ego. You're just like everybody else. And you just can spend time getting good, like just getting better and building those. You know, he was doing a lot of painting, but he was also posting his paintings on Instagram. And you can learn that way, too. Right. Like people better than you at painting will probably follow you after a while and be like, hey, do you want, you know, I'd love to give you some feedback if you're open to it. Like, you know, just like and this when I was in L.A., this would happen. I'd go painting with with people that, you know, worked on Spider-Verse and some of these movies. And they'd be like, you know, like. The worst thing about your paintings is this, like fix this and your painting will elevate, fix this mm. and your painting will elevate. Can't do that if you're not telling, showing people your work, right. right? And that will like, there is this leveling that happens. Like growth, I believe is a step function. It's like, it's it's incremental learning compiled on, you know, compounded on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And what a, what a teacher can do is point out the, the, like the largest step you can make at any time, right? And so for example, it's like you're, your darks are too dark. Like it's not that dark. You think it's a lot dark. Like it reads to you as really dark because it's super sunny. But like actually, if you take your the back of your your phone and put it, it's like not. You can see the value difference. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. And then it's gonna take me a month to just really constantly remind myself. And then it's intuitive and instinctual. And then I have another thing to work right? on, right? So it's always and building a product is kind of similar. You talk to customers that keep saying the same thing. You're like, okay, fine. We should really fix that. How do we mm-hmm. fix that? Okay, I'm gonna have to change these things. Okay, right. what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's it's an ongoing incremental process forever. Mm-hmm. And the great thing is you're building a, an audience this whole time. And over time, the thing that happens, I think if you're really good at being diligent about, uh, about skill and audience building, then people will start asking to give you money. They'll be like, Hey, do you have a Gumroad? Do you have a Patreon? Do you like, how can I help you? Do you have art for sale? 
um, like even I'm not a great painter, but people DM me all the time that being like, Hey, like I saw your painting account. Like, do you have any, you know, oil originals? Like I, you know, I want one for my house or whatever. Right. And it's like, a, you know, like that's awesome. It's like gives me a lot of confidence. And the beauty of art is like, it's your art. Like no one can do your art better than you can. Every artist like has a fingerprint, right? You can just see it. You know, you see a painting and you're like, that's that, that person did that painting. It's not better or worse than any other painting. It's just like their style. And of course you can get into it and figure out like really and analyze if it's good or not or whatever. Like, but as a, as a critic, right? Like you can go eat out at a restaurant, but like it's all, it's just, you can tell like their personality, their point of view, what they care about. Um, it's a signature. It's a signature. that you resonate with, right? You re you can read my writing online, my tweets or whatever, and like probably take out my name and you might have a sense of like, oh, Saho wrote that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes even like, I remember this happened like the, uh, it's like a few months ago, but I was hanging out with a friend here and uh, we were talking about science fiction and, and technology and things like that. And he tweeted something and someone sent me his tweet being like, you'd be really interested in this. And I was like, that was wow. a result of our, of a conversation we actually had, you know, it's like this total full circle thing. And so it just, if you, if you really focus on the first two, like you will build a, a unique, an, a unique audience that is like specifically interested in your work and you and then the monetization, it actually becomes like really easy. Well, and that's what I want to talk about next is that third piece of that equation, the the money piece. Yeah, money is easy. Okay, <laughs> explain. And obviously, yeah. this this is not uh, this is not a cavalier statement coming from you because you. Yeah, I mean, Gumroad. you know, it's you know, there's a reason the Gumroad logo is a G and has two dots that connect, and and it's basically this idea that like if you have the skill. And you have the audience connecting the dots is at least the easiest part. I shouldn't say it's easy, but it's the easiest part of of those of those things because getting really good is is really hard. It takes a lot of time. There's really no way around that. Building an audience a couple times. There's exceptions like you might have a viral thing really early in your career or whatever, but it's still probably going to take the average person a long time. And a lot of sort of like quote unquote direct sales to build it, you know, and you can also reverse engineer and do the math. I'm like, okay, I want 10,000 followers on Instagram. Like, okay, how many is that per day? And like, you know, that might require a lot of like posting your work and tagging people and replying to famous artists. And, you know, like it's a lot of it is much more manual than I think a lot of people might believe. But then when the, the money portion is really just like, okay, you have a skill, you have an audience and over time they will ask to give you money. And so then it's really about, okay, cool. How do I how do I do that? You know? And it's like, okay, you know, if you're a comic a strip creator, you can, you can figure out how you make the, you know, make a hardcover book, which is very doable. You know, you can do a print on demand service and, you know, make 50 copies, find a local convention or ship them out from your house or, you know, there's a, a lot of angle. There's a lot of ways to sell uh, this stuff. Um, and that's sort of a weekend project. You could do it in a weekend. You could figure this thing out. Um, so it's really kind of like the encapsulation of like, okay, once you have these two things, then you can, it's really much easier to do. And you should really, honestly, if you can, you should almost like delay. It's like that delayed gratification because it's, it is one of those things. Like once you have people knocking on your door, you could be like, okay, what do you want? Okay, here you go. Like I, I went and created a Gumroad account in five minutes and like added the product and here's the oil painting, like, and then they'll buy it and you, you have 200 bucks or something like that. You know, it's hard in the sense that like, it's takes a long time to get to, but it's not like a new skill that you really have to learn and spend years building. This is like the 
that or some lucky thing of, that that happens for you that you that's it's not yeah, in it's your very control. much in your control yeah mm -hmm. once you have the other two things it's like okay if you have i mean i see it on government all the time if you some sometimes as low as hundreds or low thousands of followers on a platform but they're they're fault they're not just like numbers they're people that are really interested in, in what you're talking about you could invest in making a course or selling a book or selling series of videos or doing like teaching, training, consulting, coaching, et cetera, and make a living like off of, you know, 2000 followers. Um, you might not be able to do it in San Francisco, New York, right? These things factor into like, how badly do you want it? How are you going to architect your life? Like, but in terms of getting you know, a few thousand dollars in, in the door every month, yeah, how should people vertical. think about that that piece? Um, I want to ask about what are the hardest areas in your mind? What would be the easiest areas to turn creativity into into financial freedom yeah. or or monetization? Financial freedom, though, that could be what eighty grand a year, and maybe you can't live in San Francisco, but it is financial freedom in pursuing uh, a passion. Mm -hmm. I think that the question is is that around the ballpark yeah. that people can can think about or should think about to temper those expectations and then two that seems to underscore the fact that this really needs to be something your real intention is to get really good at it or it's a passion yeah. area of yours because if you want to make a lot of money like there's other ways to do that <laughs> yeah. don't pursue you know creative um learn to code or do whatever right but like that's not be a lawyer, et cetera. Like there's not, yeah, you should temper your, definitely temper your expectations. And like, I was able to become a full-time oil painter in Utah because I could live on less than 30 grand a year there. Right. And so it's like, I have to sell, you know, a hundred paintings at $300 to do that. I think that's not, that's, right. that seems doable, you know, not easy, but like doable if I'm painting every day, et cetera. Which and I like you said, the content appreciates job with this, right? Like it, it uh, yeah, exactly. The, the content appreciates and it's incremental, right? You can figure out like, okay, how do I, how do I work four days a week instead of five? And then boom, you have eight hours a day to work on your art, which is a lot of time, right? That compounds. Then you can figure out that's going to get you to get to three days a week. So you have two days and two to three, then, you know, quit your job entirely, take a pay cut for a while. And then you're, you know, in two years, you're back up to where you were, but now you're doing your own thing. Um, and a lot of it is income diversification too, right? Like a lot of creators, and this is something we're getting into at Gumroad on the, on a product level, but it is really acknowledging that creators typically full-time ones like make money in different ways. They might be selling books. They might be selling zines. They might be selling pins. They might be selling merchandise. They might be selling PDFs and digital content courses. They might be doing freelance still. Uh, if they really want to get good again, like that's super, it's super important that your intention is like, I want to write really, really great fantasy books then you can architect your life around how to do that. Like, well, then you might not want to live in New York. You might want to make that decision. It's going to be a lot easier to make a full-time living in Provo, Utah than it would be in, in New York City. And Provo, Utah has tons of full-time oil painters, like dozens of them. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> New York, I'm sure they have some, but it's different, you know? And so you, I think it's just important to yeah figure out like what's the type of life that you want to lead and like what what are you willing to sacrifice for this right if you really want to live in New York or San Francisco like I would probably recommend like you know maybe you can turn this into a five to ten hour a week hobby or whatever like it's going to be to but to guarantee a full time independent living as an artist might be really really challenging even though I, I know a friend like she works at Marvel she you know she paints full time and the way she does it she's is she paints but for Marvel right mm -hmm. she does like the characters for 
for Marvel. Like Doctor Strange was one of her characters. And so you, you find the balance, right? Like, yes, I'm you are. And, and you're getting really good. And this yeah. isn't a new challenge. A Philip Glass, perfect example in the 60s and 70s was driving the cab until he's 48. Yeah. To be able to pursue music yeah. on the side. I mean, and, and music was, he was always a musician. He always, yeah. Uh, he said in his, in his, story that he was he was always a musician he's always a professional musician someday some weeks it'd be twelve dollars <laughs> a personal concert yeah and he's he's all, a yeah, that's a good way to do it make a part of your identity you know i am a writer i'm not an aspiring writer sort of thing so when should people think about monetization is that you know we you touched on it as it being something you don't look at you don't think about um i mentioned that the michelle reals thing which is a perfect example she had this instagram account that went pretty crazy and then got a book deal years after investing in it yeah and and even that was uh somewhat unexpected so mm -hmm. it's almost like in every single one of our anecdotes that we that we know about or that we've studied not a single person has has ever had something just take off in eight months yeah it doesn't have 12 months in but uh when should someone think about monetization i think when your audience starts asking you so wait you know, for almost just wait. I would, I would signal. personally say wait. And I, I believe the same thing about startups, to be honest. Like I did not seek to raise money. You know, it was like, I, I built this weekend project and I think it's cool. You know, before that, and investors emailed me uh, about it, you know, before that at Pinterest, I, I didn't seek to work in startups. I was at USC trying to get a four year degree. I just was trying to get really good at iOS development. I was building an audience, writing about it on Twitter and, you know, contributing to Hacker News. And then Ben sent me an email being like, hey, when you need an iPhone app, could you design and build it for us? I really try to follow my own advice. Like I'm, you know, like now working on a book and uh, we'll see, we'll see if it happens. But that's not something I sought out. I wrote a viral medium essay. I didn't intend for the medium essay to go viral. I intended it for, to, for it to be really good. And so I really do believe like if you can structure your life in a way that you can just focus on your craft, because I, I just genuinely want to be really good at this stuff. Like that's the, I want to write science fiction for the rest of my life because I want to write a really, really good science fiction book at some point, you know? And you even said uh, it'll take a million. It'll, and it, yeah, I'm totally down, months. you know. And Which is an because, insane amount for people. A million words is a lot. I mean, that's uh, 250 uh, words a page is, is roughly what the math comes out to. So, you know, whatever that is, it's like 4,000 pages of, storytelling right, right? now it's 10 long it's books. exactly you can t break it down into 10 books so a book a year 10 years kind of thing and i certainly don't write a book a year so but it just goes back to like i'm average like i'm not going to pretend that i'm better or worse i'm just going to say statistically it seems like it takes these authors that i believe are really good and some that aren't like it seems like it takes everyone roughly it seems like you know between i don't know three and 15 books you know averaging around seven to ten books averaging around 500 to a million words so like 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 just be reasonable i guess like just mm -hmm. just just be reasonable about where you are and just map it out and then you can sort of build towards that and you're getting better all the time i i like the words i'm writing today are much better than the words i was writing two years ago and that's very satisfying and you haven't monetized any of this today the only science fiction i sold one short story that was 2100 words i sold it to a vice blog called terraform that's part of motherboard and for like i don't know 400 500 you know and you know when i have the science fiction thing uh, book done like i'll figure that out we'll see but you know it might take 10 books well, it's already taken two two 
two books or so to to sell one short story. Exactly. It took 200,000 plus words to sell 2,100 words, right? right. Um, and it just, yeah, it takes a lot of, it just, but it's fine. Like I don't, you know, I'm luckily, lucky and grateful that I don't have to necessarily monetize this passion immediately. But I kind of are, even like I have, I live very cheaply, you know, when I was in Provo, I was definitely like, I think on average I was spending around $2,000 a month all in. And so, and I had a great lifestyle, like Provo is just not an expensive city. Mm-hmm. Now I'm in Portland, still quite affordable, you know. And, and while you're in Provo, I imagine you're able to learn so much online that's yeah. geographically independent. 100%. Yeah, Gumroad and is a great way to do that. There's so many tutorials. Like I was learning painting from the best painters, in, in my opinion, some of the best painters in the world because they they all have Instagram accounts. They all, they, a lot of them have Gumroad accounts or other platform accounts and like they're teaching because that's how they're monetizing right mm-hmm. like they're they're making a work they might be selling you know thirty forty thousand dollars worth of fine art but then they're also selling thirty forty thousand dollars worth of tutorials they might be selling thirty forty thousand dollars worth of in-person workshops like there's sort of different ways to monetize on that uh as well they might be selling prints you know 10, right my wife sells already. prints sells custom paintings sells uh coasters sells i mean she's done she's yeah put her art on on yeah yeah, you put them on like Society6 or exactly, whatever. Exactly, very and, diverse set And then and that's kind of the same thing. It's like people are telling you, this is what I want from you. This is what I'm willing to pay for, mm-hmm. you know? What, but you just don't know, just like the skills, just like this other stuff. You don't know what you don't know until you just put your work out there. And then people will be like, oh, like I'm, I actually would love to pay for this right now. Well, rounding out the the monetary piece, and then we, we got Kyle <laughs> busting in to record his podcast. Uh, <laughs> the it seems like there are some areas that are easier than others. If you were to kind of rank order the different creative paths that you got, and, and I'm going to link to the Twitter thread on on the, the show notes here for people to read in depth a lot of your back and forth with these creators. But if you were to rank order the different types of, of pursuits in terms of monetizability, mm-hmm. if people are trying to lean more towards the pursue their passion full-time or financial freedom, what are the harder ones yeah. to do that with and what would be the easier ones yeah. in, in what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, the, the best thing to do is to look at just broad consumer behavior uh, and people typically pay for education. They pay for self-help, self-improvement kind of products, um, fitness, yoga, meditation, uh, learning how to, a language, le- language learning is massive. That's probably like of the creative pursuits, probably the number one in terms of, sort of like GMV, like top line revenue. Um, language mastery? Language learning and language, language mastery, yeah. Yeah, really? yeah. So how would someone pursue that? You you teach people how to speak Spanish. Or, and what, what tools would they use on, um, online? Typically, yeah, videos. They'd sell like video courses. Like there was a great, uh, I, for, I forget exactly her twist on it, but uh, she was teaching, she's teaching people English, you know, people abroad English. And, but I think her take on it was like, I want to teach you how to speak English in an American accent. Oh, cool. Um, so like a lot of voice actors and like actors and abroad take her courses because they, they like want to learn English, but not just, you know, really in a, in a, I guess, full immersion. Kind Do of you happen to know her background? Because one of the I things think she was a teacher, I think she, that's, this is pretty common. Like people get a job, like you, you want to do electronic music production, you become a teacher. And then, you know, like Brian Funk is one of our creators and he sells, he's a, actually, I think he, think, I think he might actually be an English teacher, not a music teacher. I forget exactly. But he, uh, you know, 
he realized like, I'm probably not going to sell my music to an audience, but I, can, I have all this music that I make. I have all these sounds and things that I, and so he sells these sound packs that do super well of all these, like, I think one of the things that did, did best, because I think this happened with Kyle Webster, who sold these Photoshop brushes that are now built into Photoshop directly because they were so successful on Gumroad that they acquired I've, I've his. bought music packs mm -hmm. on Gumroad yeah. from different creators. And you know, they're always like, he, I, I think his story was like, he spilled like olive oil and he was like, that would make a great brush. And he like took a photo and, you know, kind of put it into Photoshop and then he made like 50 of them and then he put on Gumroad and made a few thousand bucks and like the rest is history kind of thing. The, so the, it seems pretty, are you saying it's pretty common for people to have this one pursuit, but then monetize in completely different ways? Yeah, Speaking it's like tangential. Like edu education. Right? It's like a vector. It's like slightly off. It's mm -hmm. like still in the music sound space. Um, and it's, it's a lot of it is like, what do you wish you had? You know, like I built Gumroad. That was the answer to my question. But, you know, it's like, I wish I want to make music. I wish I had this other thing. I, I want to make art. I wish I had this. Invest in figuring that out, kind of taking a detour on your art. It's still kind of tangentially related. And then guess what? Like you're an artist. You could have saved 10 hours if you had this thing already. You know other artists. Like mm -hmm. that's a great way to kind of think about. So um, almost like in a real life example, you'd have Sarah that as she learns, she's also educating people on how to, yeah. what she's Often learning. Often she's building an audience that way, like faster. Through than, education. Interesting. You know, and because that's, there's a lot of people that want to like, uh, want to learn how to write. There's some right. of these authors, some of these books that are phenomenal. I I almost guarantee you that Stephen King's, one of his best selling books is on writing. Yeah. It's probably, probably. Which I have read. <laughs> and I, that's the only book of his I've read. Yeah, it's funny, but it might be his number one or definitely up there. And that's right. Stephen King, right? Like he's, that book is competing with a lot of other good books right. that have been made into movies. Cetera, and for listeners, that's his book on, uh, on writing. Yeah. <laughs> on writing. And, <laughs> but his, you know, that you can sum up that book in like kind of one phrase, which is like, you know, write six pages a day. That's kind of like mm -hmm. his big thing, right? It's just like every day I wake up and I write six pages and when I'm done writing six pages, I have a beer or whatever he right. does. Right. And like, he writes a book every 90 days or whatever it is. And he's written I don't know, hundreds of books, right? And some he's of them, probably the most successful author of all time. If you, if you think about like the, how many have been turned into different other franchises, like movies and, and TV shows, it's insane. It's like every year there's like 10 different great YouTube videos on uh, where he talks about the book or he talks, he's educating on, on writing. And I bet those are his most viewed I bet. YouTube videos. I bet too. they are. I bet the, they are. It's, it's fascinating. Okay. So, a tangential educational aspect could be one of the ways that's much easier to monetize and, and build, your, and build, your, and audience. build your audience uh -huh. than just direct monetization of your graphic yeah. novel. You actually educate on the side. Okay, so what are some of the, let's say you you are, could look at a bunch of different creative efforts or creative paths towards financial freedom, you know, 60 grand mm -hmm. or more. You would say a year, 50 grand or more a year you would put people towards education. What mm -hmm. are some of the other? Yeah, areas? teaching is 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 probably up there. Selling physical products can be really effective, like pottery or like oil paintings. You know, if you want to be a, actually people tell me like fine art is one of the hardest. And I'm like, it's actually, I feel like, I mean, it's hard, but it's the beauty of it is you're making, it's like built in scarcity. Right, music it's, is terrible for that because it's there's so exactly. much abundance of it. Music, if you're trying to make a, a living in music, as a musician, musician, like it's you're you basically have to make money on on live, like performing, which is just like brutally difficult, right. uh, but certainly possible. But a case in point, this guy, Andrew Wong on YouTube that I, I've watched, I was telling you, I've probably watched 25 hours of his YouTube channel. He probably makes a much better living yeah. 
And if you do, you know, going back fund. to what we were talking about, the business side, like you do, you should figure out like, look, if you're selling a, a song for a dollar, you want to make a living, you have to sell 50,000 units. That's almost That's impossible. Like 50,000 customers is like more than a lot of startups with 10 million resources. AR have, right? Like that's a lot of customers. We don't even have 50,000 customers. I think we have like 45 all time or something. It's a lot. That's right. a lot. And, and we have creators that have hundreds of thousands of customers because, you know, but it's much better if you can f sell something for 50 bucks because then it's like a thousand. That's like the, you know, the a thousand, a thousand true fans kind of model, right? And uh, to what you're saying that you also have 13 other books that you have other buy. things. And, and yeah, um, honestly, like, when you 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 should still do all this other stuff and like when those people will often become fans of your music like they'll you know there is a path there and it really just kind of just goes back to like look like just be realistic about like what do you actually want and like a lot of people i think in the in that twitter thread were like i want to build a business i'm really passionate about advertising and this and i don't like a lot of i'm like maybe you are but like you might be kind of tricking yourself you're fitting yourself into this thread right like it's like maybe this isn't for you if you're really passionate about like building oh, a business. i can tell people are hearing <laughs> the 13 books or a million words yeah and their brains are shutting off their they're like ah oh, i think i'm gonna stick with my current job yeah and it, yeah like to me it's like no that sounds to me like 13 books like that's i would love to you know to have like all, there's almost nothing in the world i'd rather have than like if i could you know like than like books that i've written and I could be like, look, this is how I think. Like, and I can get on my whole pedestal about it. But like with with business, you're reacting, you're building for other people, right? Whereas like art is like, what if I have zero financial, like I'm just writing the sci-fi book. Like, what do I think about when there's no capitalist agenda? Like what, mm -hmm. what Matt? And it's like, oh, I care about like family relationships. It's like a deep thing in everything that I write. Like, why is that? Because like, I just, I just like, I don't really care about romance. I really care about family relationships you know, typically like parent child relationships specifically. And so like that probably is like tells me something about myself, you know, and like what I think about subconsciously and consciously and things like that. Um, or I, like I spent a lot of time thinking about nature and like the juxtaposition of technology and nature and like even, you know, comparing like 3D printing and like pregnancy and like there are all these like interesting things that like I'm able to kind of like, just like brain aid on, you Can't know? wait to read. read uh, yeah, well, it might be a while. We'll, well see. What would be the hardest area, creative area to to achieve that financial freedom? I mean, science fiction and fantasy is up there, I think in difficulty because it just, the, 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 the feedback loop of the stuff you're producing can be so long, you know? Uh, and, and, and getting better can take so long. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just hard to visualize because like I, I like writer's block only exists with writers. You never say musicians, but you know, like there's, it's kind of a specific term. And I think that's because writing is such a unique thing in which you're like, you're trying to really create a story out of nothing. And it's just like, you can't just jam on a keyboard and come up with interesting sounds with a story. You have to come up like it has to. And I just think it's so difficult. Um, in that way, you have to kind of build this whole universe out and like context switching into it is so, so expensive and things like that. Um, so I would say science fiction fantasy is up there, but again, if you know, like Brandon Sanderson took a job as like a, like a night porter, you know, at like a hotel in Provo, Utah for 10 years or something like that, or th that was his intention. I think seven years in, he was, he figured it out or whatever, but you know, his advance was enough to kind of quit his, quit his job or something. But he picked that job because he was like, I'm, I'm a security night security guard for a hotel. Like I don't, I can write on the job. I can write six, seven hours a day or however however many hours he, he felt like writing and he 
but he he architected his life around this goal that I really had. And he's like, look, I love writing. So like if a job pays the bills and lets me write, I'm I, he's already winning. Like then the the right. audience and money like that, you know, that can happen. And now, you know, he's a New York Times bestselling author. When his next book comes out, it'll be number one. Every book that he writes, at least in that series, will be number one because he has a built in audience of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of readers that are committed. And every one of his previous books benefits every time he launches a new one. That content is appreciating technologies, depreciating is fascinating. 100%, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally true. And that, I think, I don't know if I'm convinced that I would sort of like say every single person should do both like because of that, but it's certainly interesting. And I, I, for myself personally, I think it's really cool because like, I don't know if government will be around forever. Maybe like something happens and like, it's, you know, some decentralized blockchain based startup revolutionizes everything. And like credit cards are stupid. And like this thing does that I spent 10 years building is no longer necessary. But like the stories that I tell will always like that blog post that I wrote a year over a year ago that went viral is like still 10,000 people read it every, every month, you know, like every, every day people discover it and share people it. People will, and I was, <laughs> until I, I now at, after my death at this point, right? Well, completely coincidentally in my mind, I'm telling, I'm about to tell people, I'm thinking, oh, people should go check out our previous episode because that's where we talked about yeah. that, that experience. And quite literally, we're talking, we're in this episode and people can go discover a previous one mm -hmm. that you and I have uh, exactly. had before. And it's just sitting there, uh, just yeah. uh, appreciating, obviously totally. not costing anything. Yeah. And I found a middle ground in the content technology spectrum, which is like, I started doing these like public board meetings, which are basically like just a webinar, right? Like they're me talking into a camera with a bunch of people live tuning in, asking questions about the business and Gumroad, just like you'd run a board meeting at a, at a startup because I thought it was would be useful to kind of like to get creators to think about the side of, of, of things for themselves and also build the brand of myself and the company and things like that at the same time. And, you know, the first one was, I think three or four or 5,000 people viewed it. Uh, second one, 3,000, 4,000 people viewed it. So a little bit less, but like my, my goal is to just do this every quarter for years, you know, and then someone's going to discover whatever one, and then they're going to go start at the beginning and watch an evolution happen. And I, I want to take Gumroad from like a, you know, when I first started sharing the financials, I think we we're doing two and a half million in ARR. We're at seven now. I believe I can get Gumroad to maybe 50 million ARR. Um, and I want to do it. I want to have board meetings that basically document this whole thing. And then that's so be cool. Like, Such a cool peek behind the veil. You know, like this is here, uh, just like Joe Rogan's number one podcast. Like, and I, I don't think my board meetings are amazing or good or anything, but they're, there's some utility to them for, for those 3,000 people. Right. You know, and, uh, certainly my hope is that like when I do 10, 15, 30, 50, like there's this library of content there that anyone can go and examine and peek into. And who knows what the value of that is going to be? I don't know. It's impossible to say, but I am so glad that I started sharing the open financials on Twitter when Gumroad actually had kind of flatlined, um, because I was like, Oh, there's nothing to gain or lose from this. And now it's doing really well. I'm like, shit. Like, I don't know if I would do that today. <laughs> Because I'm like, oh, maybe this thing could be huge. And like, I don't want to tell people I want to kind of do this. It's a good secret. reason of why probably many people hesitate on the audience side is they wait too long to when they're so personally invested. And now it's too yeah, emotional exactly. to get the negative feedback that exactly. they're fearing that probably won't even. Yeah. And for me, it's like I just commit really early to stuff. Like I was talking to my wife and she's like, I can't believe you started. Like you're like, I'm going to paint the first thing you do besides like buying the paintings and, and doing one or two paintings is to create an Instagram account of your paintings. SHL paints, <laughs> right? And it's like, of course, 
like I, I, I'm committed. I'm, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Like I don't need to, to, you know, think any more about it. And like, I will regret not doing this if I don't do it because I know it's great accountability 10, 20, as well. years and feedback, accountability, audience building. Right. It's like, yeah, I, and I've learned over time, like, oh man, I, everyone wishes they wrote more, journaled more. Like I've never met anyone that's like, man, I wish I took less notes and like less, you know, time capsule kind of progress pictures of my weight loss or whatever. Like everyone feels like, oh man, I really had, but why don't you do it? Cause you feel embarrassed staring at yourself in the mirror, whatever it is. Right. And it's like, just everyone does your average. No one really cares. Um, it's you at the pool party and everybody else at the pool party. And you're so busy staring, like thinking about how you look, you're not even noticing everybody else. Guess what? Everyone else is doing right. Probably the same thing. Um, I'm sure I tweet stupid stuff all the time and I'm sure most people don't even think about it tomorrow, you know, except for me, like thinking, Oh no, what, you know? So I think it's just healthy to like get, make sure, make, make like really realize that. And then it's just, yeah, like skill audience money. So, it sounds like there's a, a handful of observations on the foundational or kind of thematic side of things. And in the tweet thread, there's great tactical advice that you give people. But thematically speaking, it sounds like it's it's only a few things, but it's get realistic, get specific, get committed, get public with it. I mean, it's a great. I didn't know you created the Instagram before you even started <laughs> the, uh, the painting, but that is a great way to temper the expectations and have that accountability. And if eight people follow, great. I mean, it's not like you're forcing people mm -hmm. uh, to see it. And then perhaps most importantly, get started. Be prolific over perfect. And then it sounds like if you do those things, get realistic, get specific, get committed, get public, get uh, started, then you can get pretty optimistic. Once you level set those expectations, mm -hmm. you actually can be pretty optimistic that this formula will work. Yeah. 100%. I think the beauty of being sort of doing the doing the research and figuring out what the, a path for you is going to look like is that it starts sort of being clear in your head and you can start seeing the path and you can get optimistic about it because it works. It does work. You go to the gym three times a week for two years, you will probably get really fit. I don't know anyone that did that and wasn't. That's you know? a good point. Yeah. Uh, and so it just, it does really work. And I think people get almost turned off by the simplicity of of it sometimes i think they're like there's mu there must be more here and it's like no there's just this is what it is you know and it's not easy don't confuse simple for easy it's hard but it is simple you have to do these things there's no real way around it like if you want to write science fiction like i do guess what you're gonna have to write a few hundred thousand words to do it right it's not complex it's it's not easy but it is not complex mm -hmm. exactly it's just putting in the work sharing it publicly continuing to do it for years, getting better, getting feedback, getting better again, sharing your work. And eventually you will be able to make a living doing what you love. That's awesome. Sahil, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. We're really very welcome. And awesome. uh, we'll link to the, the tweet thread and the show notes. Thank you all for checking it out. And uh, like I said, thank you so much for the time. You're welcome. Hey, friends and listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to hear more of these types of conversations, go over to your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe or leave us a review. Good or bad, we love hearing from people that, that appreciate this type of conversation and want more of it. You can also follow us on Twitter 
at go below the line, as well as see in our Twitter bio, our email address for you to shoot us a note on any suggestions of guests or topics that we should cover. We read every single one. So thank you for those that have already sent those in. That's it for us today. We will see you next time on Below the Line. Below the Line is brought to you by Straight Up Podcasts.